Today we're going to look at diligently putting first things first. And we're going to look at a man named Hezekiah in the Old Testament. Not your typical missions passage, but if you will, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Don't get worried, it has three chapters listed up there. We're not going to read all three chapters, I promise. We'll get out at a normal time. But we're going to just see, you know, God always desired to reach all people. Uh, I just heard a, uh, saw a quote on Instagram from a, a well-known pastor theologian this week, and he said this, missions is not a New Testament thing, and missions is not an Old Testament thing. Missions is a whole Bible thing. And uh, Pastor Greg might remember it, when we were in BBC in Springfield together, our missions professor, David Lingo, he liked to say that the God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. The, the Christ of the New Testament, of the Gospels, is a missionary Christ. The spirit of Acts is a missionary spirit. And because of that, we are a missionary church called, to, sent out to declare God's hope. And so the whole message of the Old Testament that is, was always God's heart. We see that in Genesis 12, when God raises up Abraham, he says, I will bless you, but not just for himself. He says, I will make you a blessing to others. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we see it in Exodus, when, when God calls out Israel, he says, there's not going to just be priests ministering among you, he says, I will make you a nation of priests. They were situated at a key location right there in the Middle East on long trade routes where all the nations of the earth pa- in that time passed through that area. They were to be a light shining out of devoted, diligent worship of the one true God, the creator of all things. And, and yet, time and again, they kind of failed at that. And we see that in the Old Testament. They failed to put God first. And as a result, they failed to Preach God to other people. And yet, we need to be filled with the hope of God to worship him with such passion, with, with such excitement, kind of thinking about what we've sang, connecting some of the songs we sang this morning in Sunday school and in our worship just now. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God should, should fill our hearts with so much joy that we can't help but shout out, Hallelujah, thine the glory, Hallelujah, Amen. And when we have that in our lives, it will lead us to be diligent in preaching the gospel to others. In fact, diligence, I have this here, just a definition is constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken, persistent exertion of body or mind. Worship of God, bring glory to him, is more than just when we gather to sing at church together, although that is a major component of it. Worship should fuel every moment of our day. When we go to work, when we're with our families, Worship should be, is, is an attitude and a direction of giving our time, our energy, our focus to God and desiring to see his name published amongst our community, his name glorified amongst our neighbors and friends. And this was the heart of this man, Hezekiah, king raised up by God to lead the southern kingdom of Judah long after Israel had split into two, two nations. Hezekiah was raised up and says this, and in, in, skipping to the end, you don't have to turn here, but in chapter 31, at the end of these three chapters, it says, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God, and every work that he began in the service of the house of God and the law and the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. And what we see is Hezekiah is a man of diligence in putting God first. And, and, and this will illustrate, and we'll connect it to the, to the New Testament, how we can be diligent in putting God first as well. See, Hezekiah is a, an unlikely man to be diligent in these things. Maybe some of you can identify with this. I, like Sam, I grew, 
grew up in church from a, an infant. My parents were already members of the church I grew up in, Hutchinson, Kansas. And so from the nursery on up, I was in church. I was being raised in church, hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus Christ. And many of you are raising your children here, teaching them God's word, instilling it in their hearts. Many of you maybe are like Hezekiah, because Hezekiah, he didn't grow up. Even though he was in Israel, even though he was in the line of David as a king, he didn't grow up with parents who taught him God's word. His father, Ahaz, was one of the worst kings of the southern kingdom because he led the nation to idolatry. He led the nation to reject God. He boarded up the temple, the place of worship. So even if you wanted to worship God, you couldn't go in there. He erected um, altars on every street corner and said, worship to whatever God you want to, seek to whoever you, you want to and worship and, 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 and devote yourself to them. It, let's just, he, he turned the people to pursue whatever was on their heart and whatever they thought was right in their own minds, kind of like the book of Judges, kind of like what we see in our world today. And, and and yet Hezekiah, it says here, if you'll look at Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, it says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old, and he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the, he in the first year of his reign, in the first month, and later it says, on the very first day of his reign, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. You see, something had happened, even though his father rejected God and pursued all the idols and all of the false gods of the nations around them, what God had warned them not to do, warned Israel not to do, he at some point had devoted himself to God. He, didn't, he was instructed in God's word by his family, but he said at some point before he became king, he encountered God. He repented and turned his life around and gave himself to God. It doesn't say exactly when that happened. Perhaps it's in Isaiah chapter 7 when Isaiah came to his father and said, if you would just repent of your sin, God will deliver you from the enemies around you. But regardless, it says on the very first day, he was ready. He said, I'm going to be diligent about the things of God. And so it says, continuing on in this, this section, uh, it says in verse 4, he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the East Street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done which is evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They've forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the Lord. And going to verse 8, it says, Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as you see if your eyes. And in verse 10, he says this, he concludes speaking to them. It says, Now is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him. He calls the priests and Levites, the people who should have led people in worship God, of God all along, and he calls them forth and he says, We need to get our people worshiping God. He says, first things first, we need to repent. We need to repent of our sins, and we need to be obedient to God's word, worshiping him out of the fullness of our hearts, turning the people back to God, and putting God at the center of their lives. He had commanded them in excellence, I am the Lord your God. You should have no other gods before me. And they, they covenanted to do that, to 
place God first in their worship. And what you see over the next, the rest of the chapter is God does a tremendous work in their midst because they chose to put God first. The priests and Levites, they go and they clean the te- cleanse the temple, they clean it up, they repair it, and they come back to him. And then they call the people of Jerusalem and of their nation of Judah to come in. And God does an amazing thing. The people respond, and a revival takes place because of God working in their midst. Revival wasn't guaranteed. In fact, his grandfather attempted a similar thing, and it says in, in chapter 27 that his grandfather Jotham served God faithfully, and yet the people didn't follow him. They didn't follow or respond to him. He dedicated himself to God, and yet they didn't, they didn't respond. Sometimes that happens, but revival wasn't guaranteed, and yet God was at the work in the midst of Hezekiah's time. And because they put God first, they began to see transformation take place in their community, in their country. But as I shared before, when we bring glory to God, it leads us to take the gospel to others. That's putting first things first. We see a similar thing happen here. Their, their vision becomes expanded. If you go to the next chapter, chapter 30, it says in verse 1, And Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. You see, the Passover, celebrating the exodus out of Egypt when they were rescued as a nation, delivered from slavery into freedom, was the most pivotal event in their entire history. And was something they were supposed to celebrate every year, much like we celebrate our 4th of July. We remember and we reflect, and yet they'd forgotten it. They were forgotten what God had done for them. And so he says, we're going to begin worshiping, reflecting God. And he says here, we're not going to keep it to ourselves. See, the kingdom had been split in two for over 200 years. They're they're separate. They had nothing to do with each other. Even during his father's time, there was warfare during the two nations. It says in chapter 28, one of Ahaz's sons, one of Hezekiah's brothers, died in warfare against the north. What, who had formerly been their, their, their kin had been separated into their enemies. And there's blood shed between these two. And he could have easily said, okay, we've achieved revival in our kingdom. Mission accomplished. Let's, continue, let's just go about then. But he says, no, he says here, let's reach out to the north, the northern kingdom. Let's send our messengers up to them and call them back down to worship God. Could have been an act of war because they have their own king, they have their own places of worship. The northern kingdom had completely rejected God. So we're in the southern kingdom, you'd have good kings and bad kings, you'd have a cycle of repentance and, and sin. In the northern kingdom, it just spiraled out of control. Every king was more wicked than the last. Every king took the people further and further into apostasy and rejection of God, into Baal worship. And so there's no guarantee they're going to respond. There's no guarantee what could happen. Yet he says, let's reach out to them. Let's send messengers. And it says in verse 5, So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba, the very southern tip of the southern kingdom, even to Dan, the very northern tip of the northern kingdom. They're going to reach all throughout that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, So the post, the messengers, went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
In verse 8 it says, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. And next on verse 9, it's key. It says, For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. That sums up God. The entire message of the Bible, the entire message of the gospel. He's merciful and gracious to those who turn to him in repentance and faith and accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. And we see that's the God of the Old Testament too. It's not something new that began after Christ came. It was always his heart to accept those who would repent and turn to him. It says in verse 10, So the posts, the messengers, passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, diverse are many, many out of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. They were faithful and obedient. They had a heart that put first things first, worshiping God, devoting themselves to him, being repentant and obedient before him. And it led them to go out and send messengers out to take that message of hope, of God's mercy to others. One of the very few times we see that kind of heart well up in Israel in the Old Testament. And it says, and this is relevant for us, it says some people laughed and mocked them, some people rejected. But nevertheless, some responded. The same is very true for us. When we passionately bring glory to God and compassionately bring the gospel to others, some will reject some will laugh, some will mock. We, we feel that fear well up. We feel the pressures in our culture and society that doesn't want God, doesn't want Jesus Christ. Yet we know they need him. And, and there will be some who will reject, but some will respond because we were faithful and bold and obedient to share the hope we have. They can't respond. That's some, that nevertheless can't occur if we're silent. If they'd sent no messengers, there'd be no nevertheless some came down and worshiped in the temple. And likewise, if, if we're silent, if we're fearful, and I feel the fear, I feel the pressure. We missionaries, as was shared, we're not, we're not super, super Christians. We're just like you. We share in the same faith, the same hope the same struggles, the same fears and burdens. But when we are bold and ex accept that Christ wants to help us and use us for his glory to, to share that message of hope, God will use us to see many people's lives touched by the gospel. I want to connect this to the New Testament for us because what we see illustrated in here in the old is mandated in the new. If you'll turn with me, connecting to the gospel in us, Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is this. In verse 14 it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. 
and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In verse 17 it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so what we see here is we are called to passionately worship God because of who he is and what he has done for us. If we sit here today as a believer in Christ, as somebody who's been made new, as this passage shares, it should fill us with worship, a desire to passionately glorify his name, to put him first in our lives. We live in a society, a culture, a world that says live for yourself. Do what makes you happy. Pursue your own desires, your own goals, and even at the expense of others. What the gospel says is live for God, our creator, the one who shaped the cosmos, who breathed life into humanity, who knew us before we were born and loved us, who wants a personal relationship with us, who wants to use us for his glory. Put him first, because that's what we were created for. That's what we were made to do. And when we do that, we see here in this passage, likewise, when we passionately pursue worship of God, bring glory to God, it will lead us to a compassion to take the gospel to others. It says in verse 18, And all things are of God, who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. It says, because we have received that message, we now have a ministry of reconciliation and a message, a word of reconciliation. We experience the glory of God through our salvation, and we are now ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. As Pastor Greg said earlier, we we get to serve God. What a glorious thing that he wants to use us. Us in all of our brokenness and all of our sins and flaws. We sit here today knowing sometimes what people accuse us of, that Christians think we're perfect. No, we're not perfect. And, and we sit here knowing that, right? We sit here knowing all of our weaknesses, all of our mistakes we've made, all of our baggage from our past. And yet, in spite of that, God says, I love you. I desire you. I want to use you to, to proclaim my name, to publish it among all nations. Yesterday, just as we conclude, and I want to challenge us to think, who has God called me to, to take the message of re- reconciliation to? Who has God called me to be an ambassador to? Who has God placed uniquely in my life, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my family, amongst my friends, it's no accident they're in your life. God is, and it's no accident you're in theirs. God has put you there for a purpose. He has planted you there to be a testimony of his hope. And yesterday, just in, in conclusion, Nikki and I t- took the opportunity. We were blessed with a little free time. And so we went down to, to Washington, D.C. We commuted in on the metro, and we went and saw the cherry blossoms. What a beautiful display of God's creation, seeing all this, this beauty around us and it was crowded it was congested as noisy as you as you probably know on and it could imagine it kind of reminded me of being in the philippines so it was kind of great uh 
just people everywhere, just pressed together, pushing past each other, trying to get around, trying to see things. And as we went, saw a plethora of people from all sorts of nations, all sorts of backgrounds, speaking. I heard distinctly, I heard Spanish, I heard Russian, I heard Chinese and Japanese. We even saw some Filipinos speaking Tagalog. And it was amazing. And all these people were going around. All these nations brought together. And they're going around to see some magnificent monuments of, of our nation's past, of our history, and seeing these beautiful cherry blossoms that were planted there. But what, what it is, is it, it was just a, just a small picture, a small glimpse of what we'll see one day in heaven. Then we won't be going around looking at the works of, of mankind, looking at the works of, of, of other humans. And we won't be going around taking selfies at them, posting. We will be worshiping the eternal king of glory. Second Chronicles showed us a good king. But we have an eternal king who came from David. In Second Chronicles, they offered sacrifices according to law in the temple for, for forgiveness of sins, but it was insufficient. It was good for a year. These goats and lambs that they sacrificed. We have a king, an eternal king, who laid down his life with an all-sufficient sacrifice to redeem by his blood a people to worship him for all eternity from every tongue and tribe and every nation and land. When we put first things first and worship God through and bring him glory, God's going to use us to take the gospel to others. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.